You're listening to the Joy Junkie Show podcast, episode 384. You can find information on anything referenced in this episode at thejoyjunkie.com slash 384. You're listening to The Joy Junkie Show, your source for getting your shit together in love and life. Wouldn't it suck if I really talk like that? Without further ado, here's your host, life coach, speaker, all-around badass, Amy E. Smith. Well, hello, audience. It's Amy here, and I am Sans Mr. Smith. So if you're tuning in and you are like, what the fuck is happening? You may have missed an announcement that we made a few weeks ago that Mr. Smith is going to be sadly leaving the podcast. He's got a bunch of amazing things that he is working on and needed to free up some time. So what that means for you is that I'm going to be trying out a handful of new formats starting with this week and continuing on for four more weeks. So this week, I'm going to be sharing with you a coaching session that I did with a audience member named Rachel, who is struggling with imposter complex. I'm going to read you what she wrote here in a minute. Next week, I'm going to be bringing you an interview with a genius colleague of mine who specializes in imposter complex. The week after that, I'm going to do a solo episode. And then the week after that, I'm going to be bringing you some hypnosis. All four of these episodes are going to be around the theme of imposter complex. If you are missing Mr. Smith already, girl, same girl, same, okay? We are going to be doing one final goodbye episode after those four, and that will air on April 12th. It will be episode 388, and I would love right around that time, maybe a week or two before that, I would love to get your feedback on your thoughts around these new format options. Where my head is at right now is I'd like to continue with that sort of a system where I have one topic like communicating with your partner or boundaries or speaking up that I do four different methods of episodes that target that, one with a guest, one with me coaching someone around that a solo episode, and then a unique tool episode, something like hypnosis or human design or NLP, EFT, all sorts of cool things. So I'm hoping that this offers a new, fresh shakeup for all of you. And again, I would love to hear your feedback, what you think, if there's any of these particular episodes that you love, like more of this or less of that or whatever it might be. And you can do that by going to thejoyjunkie.com slash feedback. And you may want to wait until all four episodes have aired, which will be 384, 5, 6, and 7. And that way you can kind of sound off and say, hey, I loved this or I loved this particular format, but it would have been cool to have this extra element or anything else that you've seen that's been creative on other podcasts. I have always wanted to have something that is somewhat unique. So 
And in doing that, in changing the format, I wanted to make sure that I included all of you, especially because you've been with us for for eight years. So if you uh, are wanting to have a little bit more of Mr. Smith, he'll definitely be popping in here and there for some of my solo episodes coming up. But we will be doing, again, that goodbye episode. Don't miss it. It's going to be episode 388 airing on April 12th. So let's talk a little bit about what we're going to be jumping into today. Again, the theme for the next four episodes is going to be all around the imposter complex. And you will hear when I jump into this coaching session with Rachel, that she is struggling with it as it relates to her work. And I think that's something that many of you probably can relate to. It's this notion of we're showing up in our work in some way, whether we got a promotion or we are overseeing people, we're put on some sort of professional pedestal, and we feel like we just don't measure up. And what you're going to hear in this episode with Rachel is how much the concept of enoughness or worthiness, how we feel about our own value, is tied to feeling like an imposter. And if any of you out there have worked with a coach and you bring a topic to the session like imposter complex or I'm feeling really less than in in my work or maybe it's as a, as a parent or in your relationship. It could be in any number of areas. But if you've ever gotten coaching before, a lot of times when you go through that process, other stuff comes up. So, and you will see this in the conversation with Rachel, where initially it was this whole idea of shifting and changing how she feels about herself in her workplace. But pretty quickly, we unearth that this has a lot to do with enoughness. So this is going to be a huge focus on self-worth. And then we look at how that parallels and how that ties into imposter complex towards the end part of the session. So organically, when you are coaching with somebody, the, the way in which the session twists and turns is exactly what needs to happen in order to create more insight. So if you have struggled with any of those things, not feeling valuable, feeling inadequate, feeling like an imposter, I think a lot of the concepts and the tools that I share with her will really hit home for you. The other thing that I wanted to underline before I share this episode with you is how the concept of shifting beliefs, which is something we dig into a lot in this session, is something that takes a pretty significant amount of time to alter in my experience. So if you think about it, if you have held the belief for 20, 30, 40, 50 years or beyond that you simply aren't enough or that you have to be flawless in order to be valuable, it's going to take a hot minute to dismantle that belief. So you're going to hear that with Rachel too, where she is grappling with, oh my God, changing this belief is actually kind of terrifying. And that means that you are exactly in the right place because our inner critic will go batshit when we start to change our beliefs. Now, I also want to emphasize that because this is a one-off session, I'm not working with Rachel in the capacity that I typically work with people. So we are very much scratching the surface here. And if I was working with her in my Deep Down and Dirty program, we would be dismantling all of this shit. And 
beliefs and changing our beliefs about who we are is not something I dig into very much on the podcast because it it requires a lot more in-depth work. And I've always felt a little bit like it would be somewhat negligent to share all these ways to change beliefs like like it's super easy because I think that that is one of the things that we work on extensively in in Deep Down and Dirty, which is the way in which I work with clients. You may have heard me talk about it before. But it takes a conditioning process. And, and you'll hear in this session with Rachel how we talk about the difference between the belief that is held in the subconscious part of the mind and then what we cognitive, cognitively know that we want to shift or change. Like you may rationally know, okay, I have plenty of degrees or accumulations of certifications for me to be an authority in my work, but why don't I believe that in my core? And the answer is there's a disconnect between the subconscious and the conscious faculties of the mind. So in Deep Down and Dirty, we go through – all of the tools, all of the tactics that are needed in order to make those things cohesive, the subconscious and the conscious. And we do that through a bevy of different tools and processes and guidance, one-on-one attention. So if you are at all in a place where you are struggling with enoughness, believing in your own value, that then leads you to things like attaching to perfectionism, which you are going to hear with Rachel, or trying to please everyone or constantly searching for approval, then you really should consider checking out what Deep Down and Dirty is all about. And the first process of that, the first place to start is to go to the joyjunkie.com slash workshop, where I've put together a masterclass for you that highlights the five crucial pieces that you need to know, the things that you need to shift in order to start letting go of this notion that you are not enough, that you need to constantly perfect or search for approval or all of the things that you may be behaviorally turning to because you don't believe in your own innate worthiness. So if that's you, again, go to thejoyjunkie.com slash workshop, have a, a watch through that masterclass, and then at the very end, you will see an invitation, if it resonates, if it hits home, to book a call, a free call with a member of my team to look at, is deep down and dirty the, the ass kicking that I need? And is this something that could be really helpful in changing the entire trajectory of my life? And I have recently heard from a handful of students who contact me and say, this changed my life. And it sounds dramatic. It sounds cliche. But the biggest thing that people shift going through this program is the belief that they are enough that they are worthy of the things that they want to attain, that they are deserving of love, that their voice matters, speaking up for the things that are important to them are viable and imperative. So we will put that link in the show notes for you. So let's jump in to this interview with Rachel. I want to start off by listing out what she wrote so you can hear where she was at, and then kind of the progress that we take her through. So here's what Rachel says. I'm constantly plagued by the idea that I need to achieve more or earn more credentials in order to step into my expertise. 
I work in violence prevention and intervention, and I'm also a survivor of various forms of interpersonal violence. I am so worried about showing up either as a survivor or as an expert because of how long I've been doing this work instead of owning that some of this expertise I have is simply because I have lived it. I constantly feel like, who are you to think I can become a consultant on issues I know damn well I am capable of consulting on and feel like I am not worthy of stepping into my power as an actual expert in my field. So she knows there that she's fully capable of doing it, yet the narrative in her mind is, who are you to think that you can do this? So it's that that opposition that's really pulling at her. She continues by saying, I am always making the excuse that I need to do more schooling or work for longer when in my heart, I would love to just step up and own my skill set. So if any of that hits home, I think you're going to really dig this coaching session. And there will very likely be more opportunities for you to get coached by me on the show in the future on various topics. So I'm going to let you enjoy this episode with Rachel. So let's talk a little bit about this. So you're working in violence prevention intervention. So like no big deal. (laughs) Totally light. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Totally light. No big deal. Just changing people's lives. Okay. But there's this imposter complex that's coming up for you. And, you know, I see what you've written here. We've shared a little bit about what you submitted, but in your own words, how would you size up what you've been up against lately. So I feel like there's a lot of pressure. It doesn't come necessarily from like one entity or one space, but I feel like there's a lot of pressure to like come into spaces in my life as something, as a, as a role, right. Whether that's like, I'm a mom or I'm a service provider. I'm a healthcare provider. I'm a survivor of violence. And so owning owning all of those parts of me and knowing that it's okay to show up as like a, a a complex multifaceted human being in those spaces without having to feel like I need to clutch always on my professional training. I don't know if that makes sense. (laughs) Sure. Well, what I'm hearing you say is almost like I need to back up everything I do with some sort of credential as opposed to my experience as a mom, my experience as a survivor, my, you know, all of these other ways in which you have acumen and expertise, but is that a fair assumption? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I just, you know, I think there are so many people that come into this type of work because they've lived it or someone close to them has lived it. And that has, that's been sort of what has sparked their passion, but then there's all types of other things about them as humans that make them good at what they do. And so I think I've spent a considerable amount of my life and I'm like back in school, if that tells you anything, (laughs) um, trying to like Mm -hmm. chase those credentials and those letters and all of the things that society tells us are what creates expertise 
and not to knock any of that. Right. Um, but that's not all that I am. Sure. Sure. So if we were to flash forward to the end of our time together today, 30, 45 minutes an hour, what do you want to have achieved? Like, where do we want to move the needle? I think ideally, and and maybe this isn't going to happen in our time together, but I'd like to get closer to dropping this story that my expertise has to come from some outside entity that it doesn't just come from right from me from who I am right so it it sounds almost like you need to have it like bestowed upon you I've been granted intelligent (laughs) so therefore if everyone else says that I'm intelligent or an expert now I'm allowed to claim it Right, right. It's that validation from outside sources instead of from inside. Yeah. Okay, cool. So no small feet. <laughs> no pressure. No pressure. <laughs> no pressure. No press. <laughs> but I think I think what's really important to know about really any practitioner you see, whether it's in the field of acupuncture, hypnosis, coaching, therapy what it's really about is a forward motion. And I definitely think there can be interactions that you have that completely are life altering and completely change things. And sometimes I think it's about cracking you open a little bit and just starting to see that maybe there's a different way to believe. You know, if we look at anyone who's held a really stringent belief, like let's say was a part of a cult, you know, if we're talking about something really extreme, in order for them to break free from that belief, they have to start questioning it. They have to start going, wait a minute, what if that's actually not true? And so the same is true for you and anyone listening. Like if you have a belief that my expertise is contingent on approval of others, what we have to start doing is just simply questioning it. You know, so my first thought was, talk to me about the history. Where did this come from? Was it like really prevalent with family of origin? You need to achieve, achieve, achieve. What were the messages you received around authority or credential? There's definitely, I I can't even think back to a time when that wasn't a theme in my life. I call myself a recovering perfectionist because good that has always been that's always been just sort of part of who I am. Like I said, I can't think of a time in my life when, when that wasn't true. Like my earliest memory of performing <laughs> to, to seek that validation was in kindergarten. Um, I, I can remember being oh, a wow. little girl and I was a really, I was really good at spelling, <laughs> which is just, it's like ridiculous when I tell it back out to a, another human, but um, I was really good at spelling. And my father used to have me put on like spelling bees for his friends that would come over just to sort of like impress them. Look at what my daughter can Mm. spell, which like is really nice to be proud of your child for their achievements. But somehow that became a message encoded in my brain that like, I'm only proud of you when you're producing or when you're showing off or, you know, like. So there was some guilt in that, like, do I just need to seek, is this just how I'm going to get validation 
always, it, that became a, a deeply encoded message um, from a very, very early age. And then I'm guessing it created sort of a ripple effect and that bled into high school and then. Oh yeah. College. I mean, I, I think I was in college the first time I ever got a B in anything and it destroyed me because, you know, I mean, yeah. if I wasn't getting, if I wasn't bringing home grades that were a hundred percent, it was like, well, you know, it's a 99, it's not a hundred, you know, where the message is. Right. And, you know, it's funny because I'll have conversations with my parents now about this kind of like stuff that was going on. And there, that didn't happen like that. Like that wasn't, we didn't expect you to be perfect. Like we didn't want a hundreds all the time. And I was like, yeah, but you know, there were some subtle responses that I interpreted a certain way. And so, you know, your intent wasn't really what was important in that moment. It was like how I heard it and how yeah. it felt. There's this really interesting story that Tony Robbins talks about in one of his books. And I'm not necessarily advocating him, nor am I a big fan. However, I think this story is really poignant. And he talks about these two brothers who have a father who had done a bunch of jail time, was incredibly addicted to all sorts of drugs, had a really sordid past, ended up committing homicide, goes to prison. And so one son goes completely down the exact path follows in his father's footsteps. The other son is the antithesis. He creates this incredible career for himself, has a beautiful family, by all accounts succeeded, right? Both of them, independently of one another, were asked, why do you think your life turned out the way that it did? And they both said, with a father like mine, how could it be any different? And what, what that really illustrates is it's about how we interpret what we experience. That's why you can have siblings who are parented in much the same way, who interpret the messages they received in a completely different way. So I think it's really curious that that there were very specific things that you attached to that became the belief. And that time period, like when you're talking about kindergarten, how old are you? Five, like six, six. Yeah. And you may know this too, because of the work that you do, but you know, we don't develop that critical factor of the mind until fully until like around age eight. So what that means is every single thing that we experience becomes true to us. It becomes, we don't have a filter. It just is, is our reality. And then it locks in place and then kind of creates this, this continuing effect throughout the rest of our life. So that's my guess is that there was a very specific notion of, oh, here's who I need to be in order to be favorable, in order to be approved of. And then once we create that belief, we live into it and we continue, continue going. Right. And I think, you know, for me also, around age seven, I think was when my parents, well, my mother told me that I was adopted. So that, oh shit. <laughs> right. 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 You see where that's going. So, you know, then that's even more information to 
for me in my mind, sort of solidify this, you know, confirmation, like, yeah, you aren't good enough. You know, you have to achieve because what if then these people don't want you either? Can you remember in either of those situations, whether it was the spelling or whether it was around the adoption information, those were the incidents. And then we create the interpretation. So do you remember what you made those things mean? Yeah. I mean, I feel like there's been a running monologue in my head ever since, or I mean, ever since I can remember that you are not good enough. You have to try to be wanted and loved and valued. And, you know, you have to work at that. It's not just inherent in who you are. Once that, that really is the belief, you know, once you've locked that in, now you find evidence to support it. Right. And can you, I'm assuming you're really seeing that now in this phase of your career. Right. I mean, I can look back and I can see, I mean, you know, I've experienced a fair amount of trauma, like over the years. So there are parts of my life that are missing like blocks of time that I just don't recall. But I, if I look back and I think about, you know, sort of my trajectory, I can see all of the validation that I created to support that belief. Um, I can, you know, I mean, I'm back in school right now, (laughs) you know, like I'm, I'm 37 years old, almost 38 years old. And I'm still like, well, if I get this terminal degree, then there'll be something Mm -hmm. to make my parents proud about, you know, even though I know logically my parents are proud of me, you know, I, I, I know that logically it's just, there's this, you must keep going. You must keep producing. There must be something else that you must be able to achieve in order to really understand that you are valued or really believe it. Well, there's a a couple of things that stood out to me about that. One is recognizing that we don't develop those beliefs for the fuck of it and to make our lives difficult and to go, okay, I'm going to feel as though I need to get all these credentials, all of these degrees in order to feel worthy. Let me go ahead and set myself up for that. We don't do that intentionally. What you did creating that belief was saying, essentially, here's how I can stay safe. Here's how I can take care of myself. And then we get new bits of information like, oh, you're adopted. We make a new conclusion about, oh, that must mean this situation about my bio parents. We make this new conclusion there. And then we keep trying to survive and we go, okay, new information, new method of survival. You know, here's what I know. I know how to perfect. I know how to achieve. So that's the skill set. That's the toolbox. The other thing that you mentioned that you may have heard me talk about this before is the difference between what happens in the conscious faculty of the mind and what happens in the subconscious. So whenever we create that belief, that becomes a part of the subconscious part of our mind, which is, I mean, there's debate about the percentage, but it's about 88 to 90% of our mind capacity. So if you logically know something, which logic is housed in this conscious, we're talking 10, 12% of the mind. So you can think that all damn day, but if you have stuff residing in that subconscious piece, guess which one's going to win, right? And so 
that disconnect is what we call cognitive dissonance. It's when you know something logically, but you don't feel it emotionally or viscerally. So the goal then is to start altering that and start changing that. So I think one of the things that that's sticky, and you can kind of give me your thoughts on this, is when you genuinely enjoy achievement or you really do highly value knowledge and education, credentialing or, you know, things like that. So it's not necessarily my goal to get you to stop appreciating that or loving that, but rather that your self-worth isn't contingent on it. Yeah. I think that's sort of where I want to get to as well, because, you know, being a mom and, you know, with my, with my oldest child, I was a single mom with her for a while. And there's this part of me that really wants to demonstrate that like women can do everything. Like, you know, I can go to school and I can work and I can, you know, I can juggle it and it's not always pretty, but it's not supposed to be. And I want, I want my kids to know that you can, you know, if you want to go to school, if you want to do whatever it is you want to do, you can, um, that there aren't any limits. So I would like, you know, I, I do, I do genuinely like being in school. I like the challenge. I like learning. I love learning, but yeah, I would like it also to not be contingent upon my worth to not be contingent upon the degrees that I'm accumulating. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Cause that just feels like that gets old really quick. Like there's only so right. many degrees you can yeah. pay for. I'd like to not have to do that. So I think it's kind of a yes. And it, it's the way in which we want to engage with knowledge accumulation or expertise, right? So if it's, how do we want to commune with those sorts of things in our life? And then aside from that is how do I want to just commune with myself? How do I want to view my own value and my own worth? And I will say that that's, if you've heard me talk about the work that I do in this world, like that's, that's what I spend like four fucking months with people to change that whole thing. So it takes some time to dismantle it. And and then we also have stuff around being a woman or identifying as a woman. We have stuff around ethnic background and anybody who is in a marginalized group. And I mean, I certainly am preaching to the choir here, but it's like systems of oppression work by the oppressed party, believing that they're not enough. So it's sort of a fierce act of resistance to say, fuck you. I am enough. I am valuable. I am worthy. I like thinking about it as an act of resistance because that feels really badass. (laughs) And there's like, you know, who doesn't want to feel that way? One of the things that I think could be incredibly helpful for you is, is to start looking at what is the belief that I do want to attach to? Um, I think I want to believe that I'm enough just because I am. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's the, I think that's the root that being enough. Yeah. And I think from that comes like, I'm worth this, or I'm worth that I'm worth this investment because I want to learn more. I'm worth, you know, 
whatever it is that I'm thinking about. But I think at the core of it, it's I'm enough just as is. So let me ask you this, just sort of to play the opposite side of that. What is enough? Like what would deem somebody enough? I mean, I think that's, I think that's what I've been looking for. And I've been looking for that externally, you know, like when am I going to get there? (laughs) And logically, mostly because I do work with, you know, other survivors, I know that it's not like a place you get. It's not like a thing you achieve. It's a, right. It's an inner knowing, which, which just makes it frustrating for me. Cause I'm like, well, I know that, you know, I'm, I, I understand that. I just can't, I can't get there because knowing it and believing it are two different things, right? You know, that's the subconscious and the conscious. So congratulations, you're completely normal. (laughs) And, and this is our, this is our activism. This is our feminism. This is our racial equality is fighting for I fucking matter regardless of any of these other things that have been stacked against me. So it could be that there's a piece of that, of the, this is my fierce act of resistance is to believe that I am enough in a world that has told me otherwise, like that's fucking badass. So I would love to introduce you to a concept that was pretty revolutionary for me in the terms of just understanding enoughness and putting it in a category because for so many of us we're taught here's what will make you enough except it's elusive it's once you get that degree then it's the next thing this is sort of the way in which I view it you are intrinsically worthy valuable enough as you are just by virtue of being a human And then everything outside of that is simply the human experience. But what that human experience incurs is emotion. So if you get rejected in life, we feel bummed out, sad, feeling as though we're not enough. If we are criticized, same thing. I must be wrong. There must be something wrong with me. And then conversely, if we get praise, if we get compliments, if we get approval, that feels amazing. It feels good. We might have these little bursts of joy. The problem is that we take what we feel and we collapse it with the worth. We go, if I'm not approved of, I must not be worthy if I am approved of, then, oh, cool. Then I must be enough. So keep chasing that approval. And for you, it sounds like it comes in this, in a form of accumulation of, of intellect and education. So what if it came down to giving myself the freedom to feel whatever it is that I feel like if I get rejected, if, you know, my kid says they hate me or, you know, whatever, somebody doesn't like a report that I did at work or thinks I handled myself poorly, that you could actually ball your eyes out or be bummed out and say, this situation sucks, but I don't suck. It doesn't have to mean I'm not valuable. It just means I'm experiencing something that hurts. Yeah. So like disconnecting it from that root, just, it has nothing to do with, with the worth. I'll be honest with you <laughs> when you're describing it like that, there's this weird like fear yeah that comes up for me like what would that even 
what would that even mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. what yes. would I, who would okay. I even be? Good. This is really good. When you developed those coping mechanisms of perfect, 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 achieve, 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 that became a known in your mind. And no matter what that known is, whether it's empowering or disempowering, it registers in the mind as safe. So it is safe to overachieve. We know that. It's familiar. We know how to seek approval. We know how to get the next accolade. So the mind goes, that's safe. Even if it's stealing your joy, even if it's uncomfortable, even if you know it's holding you back. So when we go, okay, let's try to go down this other path, immediately the critical factor of the mind goes danger, abort mission. We don't know empowered. We don't know what that looks like to say, I love who I am despite my degrees or certifications or credentials. So of course the fear kicks in. It's like, it's like really overwhelming that fear, that voice is yeah. like, what's it saying? Well, then do you just throw all those degrees away? <laughs> like, you know, like, what did you do all that for? Which I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> Obviously I don't have to throw everything away and like become a whole different person. Cause that's, that is who I am. It's part of who I am. It's an interesting terrifying way of thinking because it has been my narrative for so long that I don't know what other narrative would fill its place and how that would even like, how would I even show up in the world? First, I want you to understand that it can all coexist. It's not a binary. It's not, okay, if I believe that now, what that means is achievement is wrong. It's not that. It's that I'm fulfilled by achievement. I value knowledge and education and that never has defined my worth. I just bought into the idea that it did. So you can still have it. So here's what's different about it is once you start changing that belief of I'm valuable with or without it, then everything gets to be based off of fulfillment. Like, no, I really want that degree. Or I really want to achieve this new thing, not I have to do it in order to be valuable. Now it's based in fulfillment instead of chasing worth. It's really sad when I think about like, I feel really sad for, for like me and like my inner child when I think about that, that's never been the way that I have been able to think about things. Yeah. It's, it's a little wild to, (laughs) to think about that that sort of like root idea of my worth not being attached to anything external. And, and that's a completely understandable thought process, right? It's like when we didn't have a a specific tool, like if I look back at the eighties or I look back at how I engaged with my husband at the very beginning of our relationship in the fucking nineties, and we communicated with pagers, (laughs) right? The The ability to have social media, the ability to have the technology that we have was available. We just hadn't discovered it yet. Electricity was totally available before it was actually discovered. So we just simply didn't have the tool yet. And so now we can go, okay, that young version of me just wasn't privy to the tool. She was surviving in whatever way that she could. And now there's new information. Where's your head going? 
I like that it feels very like non-judgmental. Like I don't have to, I don't have to look back and be sad for me or like feel pity. I can look back and say, right. You did the best with the information you had. And no matter what, no matter if we were the biggest bully to somebody in high school or if we were really awful to somebody in a relationship or said things that that we really regret, no matter what, we were doing that because it was the only thing we knew. Is it always acceptable? Fuck no, of course not. But recognizing that, you know, in your case, the achievement, the perfectionism, the achieve, achieve, achieve. That was the tool that was, here's how I keep myself safe. But now it's like, oh, Hey, now there's iPhones. You don't have to use that pager anymore. <laughs> I mean, there was a, a hot, you know, flip phone, Blackberry phase too <laughs> before we got there. But now it's like, now there's a new thing. Now I can look at this in a different way and it does not negate anything that happened. I like the way that feels. That doesn't feel scary. Yeah. I think what like what blocked me for a minute was like this notion that I had to start over. No, it's a, it's, it's a yes. And I have new information and I want all of my achievements to be based off of what I want and what fulfills me and what brings me joy instead of, I need to attain that in order to be valuable. Is there an example of something that you go through at work that immediately sends you into that imposter place. When I do presentations, I, I do public okay. speaking a fair amount. And okay, I feel like I always have to show up as something like in one of my roles. I can't just integrate and be me. Like I have to show up and speak right. as a survivor or I have to show up and speak as a medical provider who's been doing this work for X amount of years, you know, I feel like I can't just be one role. Can you pinpoint what you feel in those instances? Like people will not accept me if I don't show up with this perspective. So like in this space, if okay. I don't show up and speak about us as a survivor, then I've, I don't have the credibility or if I don't show up mm -hmm. as an an expert provider, I don't have credibility. But it's not necessarily like I get extreme overwhelm or anxious or sadness or fear. It's not like a specific emotion. It's more like a thought of what if they think this or I'm doing it wrong. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I guess the fear would be they're going to see through me. I don't know. I, it's, it is, I, I, when I feel it, it is like a fear. It's like, what if they see me? The idea of really being seen for who we are in all of our various intricacies and crevices like, is terrifying because we've spent so much time building this facade of like, here's what I want you to see. It, and this is, this is what I would suggest that you do. Whenever you have that, that on the docket, like let's say you have a meeting tomorrow and you have this notion that I have to be 100% survivor mode. It's all survivor all damn day. That's going to happen tomorrow. So let's say we do it some journaling and we go, okay, by the time I get home tomorrow night, how do I want to feel about the woman that I was when I was speaking? If I were to watch her on a television show, 
how would I want to describe her? How would I describe her backstory? Like, what is she really thinking? What is she feeling? And you start paving that because in a lot of times we just get into those situations and all of our defaults come into play and we go, oh my gosh, I'm not talking about survivorship enough. I'm not talking about, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And we start panicking instead of showing up intentionally, like, no, here's who I want to be in this instance. What are you thinking? Yeah. Yeah. I think there's, I think, cause that's, cause that's the root of it is like feeling like I don't have the control to make a decision about who I am, like who I'm showing up as like, something's going to leak out that I'm not, that I'm not ready to like leak out, or I don't want them to see when, if I'm a little bit more intentional about how I'm showing up and then I feel like I get to choose. And if you think about that, that statement right there, I get to choose comes full circle into the work you do. It's all about autonomy and like, no, it's up to me. I decide how much you get to see of me. I decide it's the taking back that power. So it's, that's kind of a crazy parallel. And, and you also, as somebody who has survived, you get to decide in any situation, how much you, you allow out. That's imperative to your healing. And that's also imperative to your mentorship of people is like, you get to be a fierce guardian over what you choose to share. It's almost like you've got this awesome little, like a bag of tricks and you get to decide like, you know, what's being called for this. I feel comfortable using this. I feel comfortable showing up in this way. This feels powerful to me today. And that gets to change every day. Perhaps you're with a group of people that it's incredibly vulnerable or it's such a safe place. And you're like, you know what? I'm going to allow myself to be a little more seen here. You make a different choice. It doesn't have to be, you always show up this way. You always show up that way forever and ever. Amen. Yeah. I would like that because it's really, it feels so fragmented when I feel like that decision is made for me. Or, or I have to make this decision when I think the reality can be that I, I can bring all of it, none of it, pieces of it. And the only person that gets to decide that is could me. We, could we come up with a cool metaphor for that? Like it could be uh, you're inviting people into your home and these rooms are off limits, but this room, welcome. Yeah. You know, maybe it's how much of the rooms do they get to see? Do they get to go on the balcony? Do they get to go on the porch in the back? You know, but that might be a kind of a fun metaphor to come up with. So, so here's what I'm thinking as far as homework I'm thinking about, and I don't want to overload you, but I definitely think we've got a couple of different options here. One is, would it be helpful to write out these are like, I am, and then just this huge list of like, I'm all of these things just to have like a working list of like, no, I'm, I claim this, I own this. Yeah. So we're going to do that sort of a, an I am list. And then I'm thinking before each imposter complex inciting event (laughs) to do sort of a future trip of going, who do I want to be? What are the pieces I want to pull out? What are the rooms I want them to allow allowed to be seen? How do I need to show up in order to be proud of the woman that I am? Yeah. 
And so this becomes sort of like a journaling that I would do prior to those events. So these are sort of the the logistics of in the moment, how do I combat some of this imposter complex? But then I also think what we spent so much time on is really the root is, is the enoughness piece. So I also think we need to start creating a little bit of change in that arena too. Yeah, definitely. So I'm thinking, have you ever heard of the three, six, nine method? I know I have, but I cannot off the top of my head, think about what that even stands for, but I know that I have. It's basically a theory around manifestation. And it is that you, you can Google it. There's a bunch of different ideas around it, but it's, it's a way in which you write things down like a specific affirmation or belief you want to attach to three times in the morning, six times in the afternoon, nine times in the evening. And basically what this is, is when we were talking about earlier, the disconnect between the conscious and the subconscious, one of the ways that we can shift that, that we can actually create a new belief is through repetition. But most of the time, we don't do that long enough to surmount the critical factor. The critic comes in and goes, that's stupid. No, you're not. No, you're not. No, you're not. And then we, it feels too hard. So we throw in the towel and we're like, forget it. I'll throw out a couple of ideas. We can create a mantra that's maybe like progressive language of I'm exploring what it looks like to believe that I am enough, or I am working on embracing the notion that I am enough, something that's progressive. And using that as like a self-talk statement throughout the day, we could do the three, six, nine method with something that's more affirmative. Like I am enough just as I am. I'm always a fan of mirror work, like writing it on the mirror and, and saying, saying it to yourself multiple times a day. So we can, we can kind of come at it from multiple angles or putting it on screensavers or making your passwords. Like I am enough 87 or <laughs> whatever. <laughs> you know, something where you have to type it in. What feels good to you as far as starting to work on changing this belief? I definitely, I definitely know that the repetition I've done, you know, mantras and things like that before, and they definitely help. Um, I know that, and clearly it's not just my brain, but I know it, it works to, to sort of repeat things. So I think I can get behind something that feels aspirational, not necessarily like declaring something to be that I'm not super connected with yet. Cool. So let's go progressive language. Then I want you to come up with a statement surrounding this enoughness. And it might be starting off with something like, regardless what I achieve, I am enough just as I am, or I'm exploring what enoughness feels like or looks like. I'm working on embracing my enoughness, my worthiness, exploring, redefining, embracing, any of those sorts of words can be really helpful. So coming up with a progressive statement and how, what, what's the method that you want to use to start anchoring that in? I think I have to see it and write it. Okay. So I'm thinking maybe like for the seeing it becoming my lock on my phone. 
because I look at my phone often. Okay. Um, so maybe that's like the visual that I have that I see multiple times throughout the day. And then I'm also practicing like writing it out. Okay. I like the three, six, nine idea. Cool. Yeah. I like, I like the way that organizes me. So yes. Okay. And you, I mean, and that's one theory you, anytime we use writing, which is tapping into our idiomotor response, which is the way in which our subconscious communicates with our, our physical body, we can actually start to anchor things in simply by writing them. So if it feels too cumbersome to do all of those doing it that frequently. Now, the only caveat I will say around that, I want you to just keep checking in. Can I do something a little bit more as far as an affirmation? Can I go into more of a statement or a declaration of, no, I am enough, you know, keep checking in on that because we don't want it to always be in the future, but it's an awesome bridge when, when you're scared shitless and you're like, I can't take that jump, jump yet. And that's fine. Yeah. I feel like there would be a lot of internal resistance (laughs) to that. If I were to just jump right into here's where I'm at, because I'm not there yet, but I hear you with the sort of checking in and, and gently nudging myself towards like getting there. Absolutely. And that's, that's completely normal because remember that little resistance is saying, no, 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 no. We don't know how to be like this. No, it's unknown. It's unknown. It's fighting for homeostasis. It's fighting for keeping you safe. It's just, it doesn't quite have the understanding of what's actually dangerous and what's not. So it feels dangerous to believe these things about yourself, but it's okay. You start where you are. And so cool. So how do you feel? We've got a couple of homework assignments. Yeah, this feels doable. And I also feel like I'm ready to do it. Cool. Anything else that you want to throw into the mix or just say in order to feel complete or done for today? I think, you know, as terrifying as some of this has been to sort of like sit and come to terms with the fact that I really, I don't, I think I really underestimated how internalized those messages were Mm -hmm. and how that's really, I mean, who I believed I was. I believe I am Mm -hmm. still, which in a weird way makes it feel like then it should take some work. You know, that's like a long time Mm -hmm. to be telling the same story. Sure. So like it might take some time to undo that and that's okay. Yes. That's for all of us. Like that's not a unique thing. That's the way in which we have to grapple with this stuff. But what we do know is we absolutely have the capability of shifting our beliefs. That's not something that's just for the chosen few who somehow get personal development on a deeper level. It's literally science that we have that neuroplasticity in the brain. We can absolutely change a belief. And and we see it all the time when we look at people who, like I used that example earlier, people who leave a cult. You believe something so staunchly. It was true. It was real until it wasn't. And, you know, that's obviously an extreme example, but it's the same thing for us. We believe so wholeheartedly that we are not enough. It's true until we start questioning it and going, what if that's not true? What if I could actually believe this about myself? What if I'm not uniquely broken? And then it becomes a new reality. Thank you so much for hanging out and, um, yeah, this was fun and scary, but okay. <laughs> you know, I'm okay with that. Yes. Good. <laughs> good.
Well, I certainly hope that was useful for you, and hopefully you grabbed a couple little nuggets of wisdom, things that you can start implementing, and you certainly can steal Rachel's homework and start implementing that for yourself. Next week, we will continue our conversation about the imposter complex with a brilliant guest who will be imparting tons of more advice and wisdom and tools and tips. And until then, we will see you around these parts next week. Here is to loving and living your most badass life.